So hi and welcome to uh, Resin Jack Podcast. Today I thought we would talk a bit about, um, or probably dive into a topic that was was asked of me this week, and, and I thought it was a really good topic, so I pulled out some photos as well that we can have a look at and discuss this in more detail. What we're talking about is UV um, or degradation of coatings with respect to UV, but we're talking about indoors. And so uh, the, the question was posed to me by a contractor with regard to metallic resins. And his concern was in looking at different types of um, decorative resins out there, he'd noted that some of them tended to yellow off quicker over time than others. And um, so just on that point, I mean, he's right, that's, that is what takes place. Um, but this podcast is, is going to be more about why that's happening, not so much assessing different types of resins. If that's a topic you want to talk about, well, I'm happy to do so. Um, in fact, I might delve into that a little bit later because it, 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 there's some really good points around that and it's worth just understanding that a little bit more so that you, um, you, can, you can take a look for what you're using yourself. So I guess the, the starting point in all of this is that you, there are sources of UV light inside. It's not always to do with um, the sun. Um, so firstly, on, on the inside of glass, it, it's pretty obvious that if the glass is clear and the sun is blaring through the glass, well then that's a source of UV. Uh, ways to counteract that if, if we're in the resin flooring field we talk about whether they have tinted glass whether they have uh, curtains covering glass and so forth now that those measures will assist in preventing some of the UV degradation but even curtains you know that they might stop the primary area of the floor being affected but they're not going to stop all of it uh, tinted glass certainly is better uh, but not everybody wants, not all clients want to have tinted glass in their environment, whether that's a home or a retail store or whatever it may be. The, um, the other point around that, I should just make the, 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 the point on flooring is that although we're talking about resin flooring, if you read any technical data sheet or any warranty uh, statements with regard to other floor coverings, whether that's um, you know, vinyl or timber, uh, carpets, they too will, will talk about being affected by weathering and they won't warrant discoloration because of, of UV, um, whether that's indirect or direct. So that that's what I've noted in the warranty statements that I've read. So I realised that as a flooring alternative to those mainstream flooring, we, we're not that different. But there are things we can do and should be aware of. So back to the topic of um, other, other sources of UV inside. In bathrooms, as an example, there are heat lamps that are used and they two can give out um, some form of UV light. Now I'm not sure to what the intensity is, 
but it is notable in, in plastic fixtures and so forth in bathrooms that where the towel rail, as an example, where the towel hangs underneath the towel, it is less discolored than on the outside of the towel. And that's a sign also of, of this uh, UV degradation. Um, uh, other sources inside are um, to do with fluorescent lighting, as an example. So fluorescent lighting itself when the tubes are new, this is my understanding, and by all means uh, cross-correlate this with other research, but my understanding is that the powder, coat, uh, the powder that sits on the inside of the fluoro tubes is there to get excited by UV that is emitted from the tube. So, uh, and this, in, in my simple mind, I'm sure there's a very technical uh, explanation for it, but in my simple mind, that powder gets excited by the UV, and that's part of the, the glow that fluorescent tubes provide. The problem with UV transmitting through that powder is over time uh, the, that powder is weakened to some degree, maybe it's used in the catalytic process and UV is able to transmit through. So UV sources seems to be more prevalent or UV degradation seems to be more prevalent with old um, fluoro tubes than new ones. Um, other, oh, the other obvious source of UV light is, is not so much in residential or retail, but um, overhead and it's more traditional, those sodium vapor lights and, and those types of industrial lights, I think they're also mercury vapor lights, they also will put out uh, certain amounts of UV. Like in our warehouse, we have those lights still, they call them high bay lights, and they'll still put out a degree of UV. How much is is a, a different matter, but they're all sources of UV light inside. Um, you may think of different forms of UV light inside as well, but and by all means comment down the bottom if you do, because I want to keep learning. I want to keep understanding too. So from that point, we look at. Um, I, I wanted to look at a couple of projects that we were called in on to have a look at um, because they reflect UV degradation inside and so what I'll do I'll um, I'll show you some photos here now um, in this first particular photo which you can see the you can see that it's a flake floor. The majority of the floor is a very light colored flake. There's a lot of sealer on it and I'll explain why in a moment. But um, the, you can see that what's taken place here is that there's a strip, uh, a thin narrow strip that has gone yellow in amongst uh, you know, what, what still looks quite white around it. And what has actually taken place here is that the client, so the specification, I think there's something to be said by the specification. So the client has specified a very smooth flake floor. They want it particularly smooth and that's why you can see the amount of uh, top coat on here. And in order to achieve that, the installer was, was advised by his manufacturer to install a solventless epoxy first to fill in all the hollows, all the voids of the flake before they then put on the urethane. And all of that is good in theory 
uh, particularly on flat areas if the floor is level. In practice though, that's not that easy to do because what you end up doing is because the specification was for gloss, you end up trying to apply a gloss clear coat over a gloss clear coat. And these sorts, this is a holiday, right? So what this is, it's a section of floor that doesn't have the urethane and it's only the epoxy that is showing and in fact is yellowing. Now you might say, well, why is the epoxy yellowing inside? And we've talked about sources of light. This happened quite quickly within a number of months, like less than 12 months, maybe six months, I think it was. And um, so you can see that the urethane with its absorbers in it has protected the epoxy from discoloring throughout most of the floor, but in this holiday, it's, it's missed. And you know, you, you, can, you can talk about whether that's a problem of installation or whether it's a problem with specification or a problem with epoxy or whatever it might be. I think there's a com combination of factors in there and I'll show you why it's not quite as simple as you think. Uh, in the next photo, you can see that this particular premises was not only a smooth floor, but, and maybe I should just rotate it uh, so you can see it clearly. So this isn't a particularly a smooth floor. Down here is the actual floor, and this is a section of cove, and then this is their coated wall. Now, this is where the specification comes into play because the idea of putting an, a clear solventless epoxy down thick over the flake on the horizontal is okay. But when the specification calls for a cove, it becomes very difficult to apply a thick solventless self-smoothing epoxy on a vertical or on a cove. And even more difficult is the concept of putting a thick enough urethane on there and he may, the installer may have had a holiday here, he may have sent me a shot of just a, an area that didn't get coated well. And again, you're applying gloss on gloss. And this wasn't a big open area, this was lots of tight spaces where you're working in and around equipment and, and benches and things. So it, it, there has to be a certain amount of leniency in there for installers. Uh, a more of a close-up, I guess. I'll flip that around again. Uh, so yeah, you can see, you can see that this is perhaps a little better than the last one, where he's managed to get more epoxy on, but it's still yellowing because of the fact that there's no PU over it protecting it, and there is a internal source of UV light. Doing flake on coving. Uh, is difficult and um, it's even more difficult to get at the same degree of consistency on the horizontal as it is on the cove. Now this floor should perhaps never have been specified to be smooth because of that fact that you can't get it consistent uh, but that's perhaps a topic for another podcast. In this particular photo um, You can see two sections of cove where they're intersecting and on one section, even though it's pretty ratty looking cove, um, 
you can, you can see that it's it's still not discolored, and yet the other is. So they may well have got the PU onto this area better than on this area. I don't actually know if this is a fixed bench and they physically couldn't get in there and coat it well. But you can see that UV has still managed to impact the epoxy in that area and, um, and discolour it. This is a totally different project and it was a, a installer who was asked to go out and, and take a look at a floor that they wanted to rejuvenate, to freshen up. And when you look at the floor, you can see that it looks like a, um, uh, you know, a tan based flake system. And um, that's a green tea, by the way. <laughs> I, I was on a Zoom call where a, uh, a client thought I was drinking scotch. But coming back to the, the floor, so it looks like it's a tan base. And so the installer was thinking that this is a tan base until he moved some things around and in this particular area, you can see a very definitive line where the original color you can see is actually more like a light gray color with its flake in amongst it. And yet in the area that wasn't covered by boxes, it was, uh, you can see that it's discolored a fair bit. All indoors again, I don't actually know if there was a urethane on here or not. My guess is it was just sealed with a solventless epoxy. I don't know how old that floor is either, but um, again, it's just—it's good to be aware that there is discoloration indoors, and you need to have that discussion with your client um, at that time of of quoting, so that they understand what's what. And everything, by the way, weathers everything all resins will weather it's just a matter of how fast do they weather and i think in my opinion in residential applications the way i talk about it is people will want to re uh, like renovate or redecorate before you wear through the coating so they'll get tired of it and want to change of color before you look at um, before they you know will actually wear out the coating you don't get many homeowners that say have a look at my 20 year old carpet or have a look at my 20 year old tiles how awesome do they look you know most people want to to look to renovate that um, now I'll flick back a photo just because it's um, it's a prettier photo <laughs> the the topic I just wanted to touch on quickly was the um, was what to be aware of when it came to looking at different types of epoxies. So, the like the conversation I had with the contractor was every every resin has positives and negatives. So you'll see when it comes to choosing decorative resins. A lot of manufacturers will go down the path of as clear as they can and they'll choose a, a cycloaliphatic amines, the, the part B, and most are happy to go down the path of a uh, isophrone diamine. 
an IPD or IPDA, IPDM, whichever they want to abbreviate it to, type of curing agent. The reason why is it's very clear. It's actually quite stable when it comes to UV. So, you know, it has decent performance because of its aliphatic properties. It's uh, cheap as far as a curing agent. It's very reactive. So you can add a lot of diluent with it to keep the cost of the resin, overall resin down, the part A and part B down. So a lot of manufacturers go down that path. The problem that I have with using IPD curing agents for finish coats and in particular for metallics, for decorative finishes, is that they tend to have susceptibility to uh, moisture. So, meaning that when you're doing a, a high build product, um, you, you don't want to see it blush. You don't want to see haziness or inconsistent of haziness is even worse where in some areas it's full gloss and in other areas it's hazed off. It becomes really obvious what's going on and that, that is a form of blushing even though many people, many installers have never even understood that that's what they were seeing. And I just find that that is pretty tough going to to do a beautiful metallic floor, and it could be a couple of hundred meters even, uh, like you know, two thousand square feet, and then have it hazing in different places. So my preference when it comes to uh, epoxies is not to use IPD in my finish coats. I tend to use a different form of cycloaliphatic amine that is far more uh, moisture tolerant. It's, it's not an underwater product by any means, but it's far more moisture tolerant. And so that's, that's what I tend to do. Now, does it have slightly less performance on UV? Well, yes, it does. But keep in mind that the most uh, susceptible component of the part uh, of the epoxy is actually in the part A because it has this aromatic ring it's not aliphatic it's it's the double bonds of carbons that break easier with UV compared to aliphatic that only has single carbon bonds right so sorry about the, the chemistry talk there but so no matter which part B you use the thing that's going to have the most impact on yellowing is actually to do with part A. Um, but again, my preference is to choose something that has less discoloration, uh, sorry, less haziness, less um, uh, defects on the surface because of, of moisture intolerances. Uh, so that's, that's how I go about it. Now, so we sit here now at the end of it saying, well, we've got this problem, I guess. We've got the scenario where indoors we still have UV and we know that epoxies, when exposed to UV, whether indoor or outdoor, will still discolor over time. And we just don't know how quickly. So what do we do about that? And some will jump straight on the polyaspartic bandwagon and say, well, I'll do all my, my metallic coats and polyaspartic. And that certainly is an option. Um, the difficulty with using polyaspartics for metallic finishes is that polyaspartics are, are very quick to gel, very quick to set once you get them out on the, on the surface and particularly if you have high relative humidity. So it means that the, the, the 
pigments don't get a chance to settle and soften the blend patterns. It means that the, the actual polyaspartic may not get a chance to settle as well either, unless it's a very thick coat. And um, it also does mean that people will, will try to use solvents in the polyaspartic to give them more wet edge, more open time, more leveling time and I guess that comes down to preferences. I'm, I like to work solventless where I can so that, that tends to be my preference. So in my scenario what I need to do is look at well what top coats can I use over the top of the epoxy and for me they serve a couple of purposes so we've talked about UV but the other key purpose for me is if I use a good a good quality um, solventless urethane over the top that has UV absorbers in it, like an optimum level of UV absorbers in it, then I end up having like a sunscreen on top of my epoxy. I'm trying to block whatever UVs are coming from indoors or through glass, whatever it may be, onto my epoxy. I'm trying to block them before they even get it. And because the amount of UV coming indoors should be less than direct sun, that sunscreen mentality should work longer than if it was out in direct sun. So that tends to be my preference when it comes to indoors. Um, the other big benefit is if you choose a really good um, urethane top coat, then with absorbers in it, then you also improve the scratching and scuffing resistance and that is exactly what the client will always want it's what you always want you want to go back after a period of time and see that it's looking great still and the client is having an easy time maintaining it um, one quick point there the reason why i didn't talk about using a polyaspartic top coat uh, to protect the epoxy is because I don't hear of too many polyaspartics that have UV absorbers in them. If there is a polyaspartic that has UV absorbers in it, then of course it can serve that same purpose of a sunscreen and try to deal with blocking the UV before it hits the epoxy. But again, I don't see too many polyaspartics with UV absorbers, so that's where I head down the path of solventless urethanes instead. So that's, that's the topic of UV indoors. Um, I hope that's been of, of use to you. If you have questions, I, I encourage you to uh, send them in or, or write them in the comments below. Um, because that's, that's how we see you know, what else is going on out there. What, what else can we learn? My aim of this podcast is to share what I know and share what I learned so that we can keep evolving our industry we can keep stepping up what we're doing uh, i hope you've enjoyed that as always i'm resin jack take care and keep smiling